This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Thank you James. What's up Anchor Church? Good morning. Uh, my name is Arnaldo and I am the Equipping Kids Pastor here and I'm really excited uh, to open up the Word this morning and I uh, just want to welcome you. If this is your first time here, uh, an extra warm welcome to you. Uh, now we are inching towards the end of our series, uh, our Follow Me series, which we have set out uh, to, to really focus on what it looks like uh, to love and live like Jesus. And, and we do pray that this has been incredibly uh, helpful for you, enlightening for you, and that uh, lives will be changed because of, of these nine weeks uh, where we've spent looking at this uh, crucial, crucial topic. Now, last week, Excuse me. Last, last week, Brad took us through uh, who makes disciples. And that's, that's us. God equips us. He tasks us to make disciples. It's, it's we who have been given the mission to make disciples with his power, with his will, uh, with his energy that he works so powerfully within us. Uh, but no, nonetheless, he gives us the task to make disciples. Next week, Matt will be uh, finishing this series off as we look at uh, where we make disciples, that we do that in community on mission. And that's the where. Today, I am tasked with looking at how we make disciples. Now, there are 10,000 things that we can say about how to make disciples, but I want to bring them down to just two today. Uh, so in order for me to do that, I need help um, to speak. You need help to listen. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that we are not left on our own. We thank you uh, for all the things that you have provided for us. And particularly, we want to think of those who are hurting now in our world. We think about the, 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 the typhoons and the hurricanes uh, that are happening in America and, and in, in the northern part of the Philippines. Uh, we grieve over the lives lost there, 16 uh, lives lost in the Philippines and many thousands displaced. And so we don't want to take lightly, Lord, um, the fact that we are here safe and sound. Uh, but we want to pray uh, for your healing hand that, that even... You would use us, Lord, to, to uh, bring about your healing in this world. And so uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And I pray now for my brothers and sisters in this room uh, that you would help us to see the beauty of Jesus this morning. That you would help me to forget the things that are going to be unhelpful for your people. And you would help me to remember the things that will build them up. That people who are far from Jesus this very morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe on them and bring them near. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I wonder by a show of hands, uh, who grew up on a farm here? Anyone? One, two, a few. Okay, well, that's more than the 9 a.m. Um, I thought you guys woke up early. Anyway, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up uh, in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in East New York. Um, and it looked a bit like this. Uh, th this is a picture of actually the Lower East Side, but my neighborhood looked very similar to this. A lot of vacant lots, uh, very dilapidated, very uh, neglected. Um, and, and this is what I grew up with. I, I didn't grow up with, with farm and freshness, and uh, this was the concrete jungle. Uh, but interesting, my father's uh, cousin, uh, Flacco was his name, um, had 
he, he owned uh, his home on Logan Avenue in East New York. And right next door, he bought this empty lot. And it looked, it looked very much like this when he bought it. And it took a couple years, but eventually this empty lot with rocks and weeds and broken cinder blocks, there were old buildings on there, eventually he made it into this beautiful garden. I mean, he would grow watermelons and beans and lemons. It was a you know, tomatoes. It was beautiful. And it took some time for that to happen. And, but I wonder if Flacco came up to this lot and just started spreading watermelon seeds, hoping praying even, wishing that he would be able to harvest a crop. And so often, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to how we make disciples, that's sort of what we do. We say, well, let, let me just give people something. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what kind of soil their life is. This is just what we're going to do. And I, I want to take a step back. And I want to say that we, as disciple makers, we're called to make disciples, that we don't only worry about the seed the word, but we worry about the soil. We tend to the soil. And so a couple of practices today that I want to lead us into, two is silence and speaking. And the first one is, is, is silence. And the reason why I say this, the reason why we need to, to, to care not only for what we say, but tending to lives, the people who we're saying it to. And why silence is particularly important in our cultural moment is because we live in the most distracted age ever. If there is anything that's going to be detrimental to your faith, to your walk with God, to going deep in your faith, is not doubt. Doubt is not your greatest enemy. Distraction is. Distraction is. So often, we may be waiting online. We may be waiting at Woolies to, to check out, or we're, we're in an elevator just going three floors, or we're at the RTA, and, and all we, we, we need to fill in that time. Have you ever caught yourself just trying to fill in that time? I mean, I feel a bit stupid. I live on the ninth floor, and I, I get in, I park the car, I get in, and I, I just pull out my phone. I mean, I'm in there for maybe 20 seconds. And yet there is something in us, there's something particularly in this culture of ours that we feel the need to fill in our time, our minutes, our very seconds. In 2008, uh, the UK did a study where they, they tried to weasel in uh, this new phobia into the DSM. Now, it's not in there yet. Maybe it'll make uh, um, uh, the sixth edition. Uh, but they tried to get this new phobia in called nomophobia. Nomophobia, and what it stands for is no mobile phone phobia. And so uh, we have this fear, and we all do it. I do it, right? Phones, wallet. I don't have my phone on me. And, and there's, this, there's this sort of existential dread that comes upon us. I don't know when my bus is going to come now. What if I get a call? I'm going to miss out. This is death. It's, it feels like existential dread because we've trained ourselves to fill in every single tiny gap of our lives and we become distracted. And the greatest enemy to a deep life with God is 
distraction. And so I want to say that in this moment, silence for us is going to be incredibly countercultural and necessary if we want to cultivate the kinds of lives, the kinds of soil, if we want to aerate our lives, if we want to plow into so the gospel can take root, then we need to begin to practice silence. Not trying to get anything from God in that moment, but being with him as a person. It's interesting. I was speaking to someone after our first service, and it's interesting in all relationships. When you enter into a relationship, whether it's friendship or a romantic relationship, uh, you need to fill in the time with words. I mean, because then it gets awkward, and we don't want to do that. But then, you know, I've been married to Catherine now for about 12 years. We spend whole evenings completely quiet, and they're the best. Because there is a growing intimacy. There is a knowledge of the other person. And I wonder how we can begin to cultivate that. And so often we think that meeting with God needs to be explosive. It needs to be wild. I need to feel like my spidey sense is tingling. But I want to read to you something from, uh, from the book of 1 Kings. There's a story of the prophet Elijah. And uh, he, he wants to meet with God. He's depressive. He's suicidal. And he wants to meet with God. And in chapter 19, it says this. And he said, this is God speaking to Elijah. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces wind broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a low, a sound of a low whisper. The NRSV, another translation, translates this as a, as a stunning silence. And oftentimes it's in the silence where we can bear ourselves before the Lord and He can point out the weeds in our life. If we do not take time for contemplation, for meditation, for self-reflection, Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. If we cannot take the gospel, the word of God to ourselves and just wait on the Lord in silence and allow him to highlight the places in our lives that look like that vacant lot. Because when we try, when we try and we try and we try to, 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 to pour the gospel, to, to bear seed in, in, our, in our own lives, to spread seed, the gospel in our own lives, we find that sometimes they don't take root. And I feel... If we spend time in silence, we would curate our lives. We would create and position ourselves in such a way that the gospel can take root. Now that's silence. That's, that, that's getting us prepared. Now we, we, can, we can be silent all we want, but unless then we begin to speak the gospel into our own lives, into those, into the lives of those who, are with the, who we're discipling, then you're just going to be a plowed field. 
And the word of God is absolutely, unequivocally essential. If we are not discipling people with the word of God, if the word of God isn't, if the scriptures, if the gospel is not what functions as the, the, the way you view the world, the way that you disciple one another, the way that you speak into one another, then you're not making disciples of Jesus. We might be making disciples of ourselves, of our personality, of what's in vogue at the moment. But if the scriptures are not prominent, and if they don't color everything that we do as we speak to people, as we disciple people, discipleship is this. Discipleship is taking someone along with you as you walk with Jesus. It is taking someone along with you as you walk with Jesus. And part and parcel of that is allowing the scriptures to shape everything that we do. And the scriptures do several things. One is they, uh, the, 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 the word of God creates. We find in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, that God speaks creation into being. Peep this. There was nothing... God said, let there be light, and there was light. That may not seem crazy to you, but it should. God said, let earth form, and it, and it formed. God said, let there be a greater light and a lesser light, and, and they were. God's word is incredibly powerful. It creates. Not only does it create, it sustains. Let me read to you from the book of Hebrews. Hebrew. 1, 3 says this, excuse me, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And listen, and he upholds the universe by what? By the word of his power. And so peep this, not only does he create the world, but even now, as we're sitting here, ontologically, he is holding the world together by the word of his power. If he were to decide to not, I, I, what, what would it look like? It would look like the end of Infinity War, where they all disappear. We'd all just go into nothing. He's holding the, word, the, the world together by the power of his word. Not only does God's word create, but it sustains, but it also renews. 1 Peter says this. 1 Peter 23. I'll begin at 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How? Through the living and abiding word of God. Not, not only does he create with his word, not only does he sustain with his word, but he brings you and he brings people from death to life through his word. What else do we need to make disciples but God's word? But it is also incredibly powerful. To Timothy, this is uh, uh, one of Paul's last letters to one of his disciples. It says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so God's word not only creates, not only does it sustain, not only does it uh, renew, but it sanctifies, and it's the most practical thing we can think about. So often we, we, we sort of pull apart theory and practice, but the word says this, what, what does it do for you? It equips you for every good work. And our desire here at Anchor, our desire through this series, our desire through everything we do, as we plan, as we pray, as we preach, as we serve, as we gather, it is for this. It is so that we can be the church in this city, that we can be equipped for every good work. And the scriptures are absolutely necessary for this task. But we need to be the kind of soil where this seed of the gospel can take root into our lives so that when trials come, when scorching heat comes, we withstand. Why? Not because we tried really hard, but because we were the kind of people that the gospel took root in. And so we want to begin to practice silence, but we also want to speak the gospel into people's lives. And one way that we have understood the scriptures here at Anchor, one, one way that we can get a, a handle of what God is doing throughout all of the scriptures, we use this paradigm. We use these four acts. And, and act one is that God creates. And we find that in the book of Genesis 1 to 2. God creates through the power of his word. And it brings, and not only, he doesn't create immaterial, to put it one way. He creates matter. And matter matters. He creates bodies. He creates minds. He creates culture. He gave this garden to Adam and Eve, and he said, cultivate that. Create culture, create commerce, create government. Do something beautiful with that. But we know, we find out in Genesis 3, the second act of the story of God, of the scriptures, is that Adam, Adam and Eve fail. And all throughout the scriptures, people try, people try, people try. And then God himself has to come in the person and work of Jesus. And God himself comes to redeem humanity. God himself comes as that crying baby. Don't let that be a distraction. As I hear that, I'm reminded that the God of the universe, the God of Psalm 33 that says he opens his mouth and stars come out, that God cried like that. Don't ever let oohs and gahs and crying distract you. Let that lead you to worship. Let it lead you to worship. Why? Because God became that for us. Let it be a tangible reminder to you that we welcome them as Jesus welcomed the little children. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. God became a child, a vulnerable, weak child. He lived the life that you and I could never live he died the death that you and I deserve to die. He experienced 
the wrath of the Father so that you and I will never experience the wrath of the Father. And one day, the Scriptures promise us that he's coming back. It should sound crazy to you. It is out of this world. But one day, he is coming back, and everything that sin has touched, everything that sin has diseased, will be cured. Last week, uh, Brad uh, reminded us that the brokenness uh, that we experience, the brokenness of the world, isn't just out there. We don't experience just brokenness out there. But brokenness cuts through every single one of our hearts. And God promises to heal every last thing in this universe. And we get to be a preview of that now. Why is discipleship so incredibly important? One, we're we're becoming disciples of something. Discipleship, as we learned in the first week, uh, is something that is always happening to us. We're never neutral. We're going one way or the other. Either the scriptures in community are guiding and coloring our life, or something else is. There is, there is no question about whether you are being a disciple or not. The only question is, of whom are you being a disciple? And unless the scriptures guide us, this beautiful story of a God who creates good, who mysteriously allows it to fall, who enters into that brokenness to heal everything and one day will come back and touch everything that is evil, that is broken, that is maligned, and make it good. And every last evil thing in the world will be banished. I normally hate my Facebook memories. I'm so embarrassed by myself. I don't don't know about you. I'm like, I said that a year ago? Really? But something came up this week, and it just reminded me. And and I remember, um, I don't want to quote myself because that's just, that's silly. Every drop of sickness, every last diagnosis of cancer, Every last natural disaster, every last word that we've ever spoken, everything evil will be destroyed. Now, I don't know if you are a Christian here today. I don't know if you believe this story, but I'll tell you this. You should want to believe the story because this is the hope of the world. Every desire that you have for wholeness is found in the gospel. And not not only the desire, but the reality, the substance, the ghost that we have been chasing in this world for justice is found in the scriptures. And so discipleship is important because it, it shapes us to be like Jesus. And as we do this with one another, as we ourselves experience silence so that God can shine his holy and beautiful light on our brokenness, that's a safe thing, by the way. I think sometimes we think, oh, my brokenness is going to be exposed. It's like going to the doctor and and, and saying, you know, please don't tell me the bad news. 
It's like when I go to the dentist, I brush the hell out of my teeth before I go to the dentist. I want to look good in front of a dentist. I want, I want to walk in and say, wow, this is the, I, I'm out of a job here. And so often we come to God like that. We come to God and we want him to say, I'm, I'm out of a job. You don't, you don't need me. But as we spend time in silence, he shines his beautiful and holy and righteous light on our lives. And we can see those cracks. We can see those weeds. We can see that, the, 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 that rocky soil. Why? So that we can, he can bring us into wholeness. So that we can be the kinds of people that when the gospel is planted, it takes root. And so we need both silence and we need both speaking. But oftentimes, we can feel discouraged. We can feel that, is this actually happening? Let me encourage you from the book of Isaiah. I'm going to read a couple verses for us. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. Not only does God's word create, not only does it sustain, not only does it renew, not only does it sanctify, but it will fulfill its purpose. So as we disciple people, as we get discouraged, did you know, I, you know th th there's one aspect of discipleship that can only be found in the labor room. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, he, he, he loves the Galatians, but man, they're, they're, they're a pain to him. And he says, this is like childbirth. Discipleship at times will be hard. And unless we have this deep confidence that when we sow these seeds of the gospel, God will accomplish his purposes in people's lives, in yours and in the ones that you are discipling. God will do it. God is good. He is faithful. You need to be reminded today that God is faithful his word will go out, and it will do what it has accomplished. It will accomplish what it said it will do. But as we look at it, sometimes we don't believe that. I want to introduce you to the Chinese bamboo tree. Now, I apologize for the, you know, I should have gotten a better image. But the Chinese bamboo tree is interesting. I want you to imagine my... My father is a cousin going to his lot and planting this little sapling, this bamboo tree. And so he works hard. He aerates the soil. He, he tends to the soil. He fertilizes the soil. He, he plants this little tree. And the first year, nothing, nothing happens. Nothing sprouts. He goes, okay. Comes back next year, year two. He fertilizes the soil. He cares for it. He tends for it. Nothing happens, year two. Year three, he comes back. Now people are starting to snicker at him. People are starting to call him crazy. Now, uh, fair enough, my father's cousin was, was a little crazy. But uh, now he, he, he continues to, to tend to it and love it. And nothing happens, year three. 
He comes back year four. Again, nothing happens. Now people are really thinking he is wasting his time. Year five, he comes back, and within six weeks, this bamboo tree grows up to 80 feet, about 25 meters. And oftentimes we give up when we sow the word into people's lives, into our own lives. I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep tending the soil. Keep sowing the seeds of the gospel, of the word of God. Have whatever you want to do, have Isaiah 55, 11 plastered all over your house, on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator. Have it plastered so you know, you're reminded that God's word, as it goes out, it will not return void. It will fulfill what it has promised in your life and in those who you are discipling. And so be encouraged, church. We want to see this city turned up. There's this phrase in in Acts where it says that the city was turned upside down because of the gospel. And we want to create a culture here that this city is turned upside down because of the gospel. Because why? Because our desire is to see Jesus' name made great as we make disciples. That we would learn truly to love and live like Jesus. And in order for that to happen, we need to tend the soil of our lives and plant the seeds of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again. We thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are holy and you are beautiful and you are good to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you decided to condescend into humanity, to take on our filth, to take on our mess, to redeem our flesh. And so we thank you now. And we we just want to say, may you have your will in our lives, that we would tend to our soul, that we would spend some time contemplating, meditating in silence, that you, you would show us, reveal to us now, even now, as we sing, as we give, as we pray, reveal to us the areas of our life that need weeding so that the gospel can go in, so that we can be people like Psalm 1 that are planted by streams of water that even when scorching heat comes, when trials come, when suffering comes, when disease comes, we stand firm in Christ. And the watching world will see that our hope is not contained in this world, but it is is contained in a person you, Jesus. So we thank you for all the things you have done and all the things you are doing now in this room and for what you will continue to do. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.